0: Pastor Xavier Reese and the difference between freedom and bondage on today's Simple Truths.
1: Romans 13 14 says that we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and not make provisions for the flesh. What happens often as Christians, we make provisions for our falling and then we say, oh, I blew it. I'm just weak, you know? No, no, no. You're making provisions. I think I'll just go read the Bible over my girlfriend's house. What time did you go? Oh, about three in the morning. You're making provisions
0: for the flesh. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Scriptures tell us that in Christ we are new creatures, but then why are so many Christians living the old life? That's the question Pastor Xavier addresses as he brings us today's Simple Truths about what it's like to be afforded true redemption. Let's join him as he begins today's lesson on living in freedom.
1: Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And the message is entitled The Solution for the Flesh Life. Paul the Apostle has demonstrated to the Galatians the folly of their wanting to live by the law and return to the bondage. They were now sons of Abraham and children of the free woman. Therefore, Paul exhorts the Galatians to recognize their freedom for which Christ had made them free. And to stand fast and not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage as he moves from the doctrinal section to the practical section, beginning chapter 5, verse 1. God first tells us what he has done for us, what he requires of us, and then he tells us to do it. But in the doctrine, he always enables us. He tells us about that enabling. It's important. Now notice in verse 2, if they became circumcised, Christ would profit them nothing. In verse 3, if they became circumcised, they would be obligated to keep the entire law. And then in verse 4, if they insisted on these things, here's the key, for justification before God, circumcision, they would be separated from Christ and remove themselves from the benefit of grace. If you hang on to anything else apart from grace and faith in Jesus Christ for your justification before God, then you remove yourself from the atoning work of Christ. If you trust your baptism for your justification, you fall in this category. If you trust good works for your justification before God, you fall into this category. Whatever you trust apart from Jesus Christ, then you forfeit grace. And in fact, you're saying that you are sufficient to stand before God and to give account for your life apart from the grace of God. And so Paul gives to the Galatians the solution for a flesh-dominated life. And it consists of three parts, and it's found here in verses 16 through 18. Let me read it. I say then, walk in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do those things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. The solutions to a flesh dominated life, according to Paul, is based on three things here first, the counsel to the believer, verse 16. Secondly, you have the conflict of the believer. Verse 17. And then thirdly, you have the conquest of the believer, verse 18. Let's begin here with the counsel to the believer in verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit. Paul gives his counsel to the ones he had evangelized and brought to Christ. He's not asking this or commanding this of some non-believers but of those who had embraced Christ. Let me suggest to you that one of the greatest failures of the church today is exactly that. Often as Christians, we say, well, you know, in the world, we just kind of don't confront people, and we just let them go. But most people do that in the church today. Oh, it's easy to confront someone who you barely know and say, hey, are you a Christian? What are you doing me like that? But what about someone who's close to you? Better yet... How about if someone prominent who's a Christian leader steps out of line? Would you have the courage to confront him? Now make sure you got your facts together because the Bible warns us of not being belligerent and going without all the information. But how interesting that we aren't like Paul and we can certainly rebuke someone else, but someone who we esteem or someone who we think is more spiritual than us, would we confront them? And if we wouldn't, then we're a of persons. Paul wasn't. Notice Paul tells them to walk in the spirit. And the word walk means to walk about and order one's behavior and conduct. The focus is on the human responsibility here. Walking speaks of progress. When you walk, you don't just get up and walk around in circles. Walking speaks of having direction and knowing where you are going. The word spirit refers to the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. The problem that was going on in Galatians, is the Galatians were walking in what? In the flesh. He's going to go on to tell them to be led by the Spirit, to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, and to live in the Spirit in chapter 5, verse 18, 22, and 25. You see, they had been made alive by the Spirit and were to walk as children of the light, as Ephesians 5 8 says. How unjust we would be to require something of our children which we had not enabled them or taught them to do. Then let's give God a break. When God requires something of us, it's because He has enabled us. Otherwise, He would be unjust. In a greater way than you and I could ever be. But such is not the case. Now notice after the proclamation you have the promise. If we walk in the spirit, he says, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There's the promise. The promise is directly related to the command proclaimed to walk in the spirit. Walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If a person does not walk in the spirit, they will fulfill the lust of the flesh. If they walk in the Spirit, they will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This isn't brain surgery. <laughs> this is basic, fundamental Christian doctrine. Notice a particular phrase Paul uses is fulfill the lust of the flesh. The word lust simply means a strong desire, or craving which can be something good or bad, the context will determine it. If you have a strong craving and desire to be faithful to your wife and husband, that's good. If you have a strong desire and craving for somebody else's wife, that's bad. So the context will always determine how the word is used. But somehow we've always identified the word loves with only an evil connotation. Not always. In this case, yes. Because the word here, flesh, can also be used in a good or an evil sense. It can be used for mere physical body of man. This is my physical body. God has given it to me. There's nothing evil about my body at all. It's just a shell. When a man dies or a woman dies, you go out to him. It's a shell. They're not there anymore. See, a wrong understanding of Scripture says, oh, our body's evil. Well, if my body, why did God give it? No, no, my body's not evil. So the way it's used is, first of all, the physical body. My body's neutral. It's an instrument. But it can also be used for the nature of man apart from the Spirit of God. One who knows God... And contrary to that, one who does not know God, he's in the flesh. But thirdly, it can be used for the sinful passions of the old man, the sin nature. This is how Paul is using it here in the context. So my body, if I am not filled with the Spirit of God, if I'm not being walking in the Spirit of God, then my body will be subject to the desires and passions of my sin nature. It's going to be one or the other. The word flesh appears 18 times as the word Holy Spirit appears 18 times in this letter. I found that most interesting. These are two key words to understand this epistle. Flesh and spirit. They are a choice. They coexist. And each will determine who we are. Romans 13, 14 says that we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and not make provisions for the flesh. What happens often as Christians, and he is talking to Christians, please understand me. He couldn't be asking or telling this to a non believer. What happens as Christians often is we make provisions for our falling and then we say, oh, I blew it. I'm just weak, you know. No, no, no. You're making provisions. I think I'll just go read the Bible over my girlfriend's house what time did you go? Oh, about three in the morning. You're making provision for the flesh. And you're going to end up in the works of the flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh, the lust thereof. You know, as you look at one of these 747s, the seeming impossibility of that heavy airplane taking off is kind of mind boggling, isn't it? They, they taxi that thing up, and then they, they, they put all kinds of food in and then they put the crew in, and then they put the passengers in, and all the passengers brought two luggages underneath, and they carried two on. And and this thing takes off down the runway, and all of a sudden, within 60 seconds, that thing begins to take care. Now, you've seen it, and you know it will, but you can't understand how in the world that thing's so heavy. But what's taking place is that there is a greater law being exercised To override the law of gravity, the law of aerodynamics. And as long as that law of aerodynamics exists, the law of gravity does not disappear. It's just that it's a weaker law than the other. If at any second that pilot thinks that the law of gravity has disappeared and no longer exists, all he has to do is pull back on the throttles and he will quickly find out that the plane will be destroyed. And so it is when we walk in the Spirit. People say, how do you do it? You used to be the life of the party, man. You used to be the boozer and, you know, all the dirty jokes. And, you know, you brought on all the, all the stash, man. Made everybody happy. And how do you, how did you stay away from it now? They see you as that 747 flying, and they say, I don't understand it. But you know that if at any time you think that your sin nature no longer exists, all you have to do is just not walk in the Spirit, and your life will be destroyed. Real simple. Let me tell you what walking in the Spirit does not mean, because we get some weird concepts in the church, don't we? It does not... And is not the Holy Spirit living for you without your cooperation. It is not without your cooperation. Secondly, it is not the Holy Spirit absorbing your personality. You don't change. When I come and teach up here, I don't take on a different personality. Though some preachers, if you listen to them, you wonder. You know? I mean, I talk to you the same way I talk down there. I've given you the illustration about your children many times. How would you think your child comes in and talks to you different when he needed something? Why do we do that to God? Oh, God, I just thank you. Please touch me. What if your kids say, oh, Dad, I need $5. I got to go to the show. <laughs> Let's talk to them regular. It is not being mystical or mysterious, because we run across people like that in the church, right? And I think it's because they're ignorant regarding the Word of God, and they're led by emotions, and so they take up these little airs about, oh, yes, God, he's so good. Oh, I was talking. oh, wait, wait, God's talking to me. And it's because they are mimicking what they are seeing and hearing in their churches and the tradition if they follow generation to generation. Let me tell you, God is not weird. We are. <laughs> Let me tell you what walking in the Spirit means. It is the new man in agreement with fellowship with the Holy Spirit. I agree with him. I am no longer in control. It is the inner man yielding to the will and the purposes of the Holy Spirit. There are some things I don't like that God likes. And I've got a choice. And as I've walked with God for the last 25 years, He's made a lot of changes. Some I've cried. Some I've yelled. Some I've threatened. But the change has come and I thank God for that. It is a spirit-conscious life being a new creature, spirit being uppermost as Adam before the fall, though we are not like Adam before the fall, but at least we're in the spiritual state of being uppermost. That's what walking in the Spirit is. Let me give you what the Scriptures say to the believer about walking, and I'll just give you some of them. We are to walk in the works that God has prepared for us, Ephesians 2.10. We are to walk worthy of the vocation which you are called, Ephesians 4.1. We are to walk in love, Ephesians 5.2. We are to walk in the light, Ephesians 5.8. We are to walk circumspectly, Ephesians 5.15. We are to walk in Him, Christ, Colossians 2.6. We are to walk in wisdom, Colossians 4.5. We are to walk honestly towards others, 1 Thessalonians 4.12. We are to walk in the light, 1 John 1, 7, and we are to walk in the truth, 3 John, verse 3. Those are some of the things that the Bible tells about walking. I presume those will keep you busy for a while, as well as myself. The counsel to the believer is to walk in the Spirit. This is all based on what he has said prior in the four chapters. Now, notice, secondly, he moves on to give the conflict of the believer. Paul's a realist. Be a realist as a Christian. Don't live in Christian Disneyland. The world is looking for real Christians. Notice the conflict of the believer, verse 17. First, the presence of the two natures. We've implied it. Now he directly gives attention to it. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. This, in effect, is the reason for Paul giving the proclamation to walk in the spirit. Because they are one against the other. That's why he says, walk in the spirit. The believer has an old nature that is sinful through his or her natural birth. Jeremiah 17 9 says, The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked above all things. Only God knows it. When I was born, To my mother and father, my nature was bent towards evil. I do have a capacity for good, but my bent, my propensity, my practice is towards evil. No one had to teach me to lie or to steal. I did that naturally. The believer also has a new nature now, a divine nature by the new birth. 2 Corinthians five seventeen says that we're a man, a woman, and Christ Jesus, they're a new creature. All things pass away, everything becomes new. Everything you ever did before Christ is totally forgiven, gone, buried, can't touch it. What an amazing, amazing gift. Everybody says, I need a new start. Boy, you talk about a new start. Christ can do it. Now some people have denied this truth about the two natures in the past as well as in the modern times but neither scripture nor experience bears up to such teaching it may be that some people are so passive that they confuse their personality for non-existence of evil in them but if you give me 60 seconds with you i can get you in the flesh like the guy who was there sitting under Mr. Spurgeon's sermon, he was talking about the two natures, and at the end of the sermon, the man came up and says, Mr. Spurgeon, I've never sinned since I've been born again. I don't agree with your, the two natures concept. So he asked him to have lunch with him. They were there having lunch and everything, and as he was listening to them about how he had never sinned, this and that, and, and uh, Mr. Spurgeon had a glass of water, and he kept swirling it around, listening, and all of a sudden, he lunged across the table and threw the water in his face. The guy got up, just all upset, started, to call. he says, "Aha!" You see, I knew the old man wasn't dead, he had just fainted. <laughs> it's there, man. It's there. Others are just mere liars, passing themselves off more spiritual than they really are. Somebody tells me that they've never since they come to Christ. <laughs> I want to laugh, and then I want to provoke them. (laughs) Paul didn't believe it, for he was writing to the Christians in Galatia. He is shocked that having received the Spirit of God in chapter 3, verse 1, they would choose to act contrary to it. That's why he's shocked. You and I should not be shocked at the non-believer who's sleeping with his girlfriend or boyfriend or doing drugs. Why are we shocked? They're dead. We should be shocked when a person says, I'm a Christian, and they're fornicating, committing adultery and taking drugs and beating their wife and everything else. That's what we should be shocked at because they have a greater capacity. He is addressing the very problem of the two natures in this verse. Paul himself confessed the conflict of the flesh and the spirit to the Romans in chapter 7. That which I don't want to do, I end up doing. That which I end up doing, I don't want to do. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Christ, out, praise the Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to move life in the spirit, chapter 8. Now notice, secondly, he focuses on the power struggle, because that's what it is. And these are contrary to one another. The word contrary is very obvious. It means to oppose, to be opposite to, to be an adversary, or to withstand. The word is used for false doctrine opposed to sound doctrine in 1 Timothy 1.10. The apostle has just plainly said that the flesh lusts against the spirit. They're opposed to each other. The apostle will later declare the possibility of reaping and sowing to either nature depending on the choice in chapter 6, verse 7 through 9. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever man sows, that shall he also reap. You sow the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow the spirit, you reap abundant life. It's a choice, Right? Who's he talking to? Christians. A Christian can sort the flesh and reap to it? Ooh, yes. It's a choice. Notice the Galatians' conflict was evidence that they what? They belong to God. If you have conflict in your life, you're born again. Because natural men and women who are not born again don't have conflict. Let me ask you, any of you out there have a hard time fornicating? Taking drugs? Stealing? Nope. Felt right at home. Now, when we first started down that road, we had the help of conscience that God gave us. Paul tells us that in Romans chapter 2. You remember the first time you went to the store to try to steal a candy bar? Man. Palms sweaty, eyes looking back and forth. Took me a hundred times before you put it in, right? Then when you did, you ran home and your heart was boom, 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 boom. Where'd that come from? But then you became pretty good. You began to steer your conscience, to callous your conscience. Pretty soon, you just walk right in. You walk in. No big deal. And the same with fornication, the same with drinking, the same with getting loaded, the same with stealing, anything else. But we first, we first were convicted by conscience then we had to work against that conscience and we had to sear it and callous it and destroy it and reshape it. After that, we're right at home. Now, if you have a conflict with sin, it's because evidence that you're born again. And if not, then you've got a good moral base and you still need to be born again because there's a lot of good people in hell but not good people in heaven. Heaven's going to be full of evil people. have repented. And hell's going to be full of a lot of good people who think they were able to get to heaven by being good. That's a shocker.
0: Entrance to heaven is a gift, not something you earn. Pastor Xavier Reese and the dangers of misunderstanding the free gift of the gospel. And there's much more to come next time. But if you won't be able to tune in, you can pick up a copy of this message on CD for only $4. The title you want to ask for is The Solution for the Flesh. And this is a great way to share this ministry with your friends and loved ones. Once again, the title to ask for is The Solution for the Flesh. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800. 800- 926-1485. Again, that's eight hundred nine two six one four eight five. Or the address once again is Simple Truths twenty two hundred East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, nine one one zero seven. And please be sure and mention the call letters of this station in your correspondence. This helps us track the impact of this outreach in your area. What are the signs of a true believer? That's coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com